CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. It's Friday and time for Options Action on the big show tonight. First, don't let the rhetoric or the sell-off fool you why China's Internet sector is still something to log into. Then, it's not your pal and not likely to pay either unless you know how to play it. And finally, tis the season, earnings season that is, since it's the last one before the holidays. We'll show you how to not screw yourself over. <laughs> Joining us as always, Tony Zhang, Mike Ko, and Carter uh, will join us in just moments. But let's get right to it. And, Mike, it's been a big week for KWeb, the Chinese Internet ETF. You think it's worth a trade here. Why? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of reasons. I mean, first of all, for for many months we've been talking about when the opportunity to possibly dip your toe into Chinese stocks might arrive. Obviously, there's been a tremendous amount of pressure on the stocks. Most of it is political. We've had a lot of pressure from the Chinese government on these names. And what has happened as a result is that many of the constituent stocks of K-Web, so these are some of the biggest Chinese companies we can think of, we're talking about Tencent, we're talking about Baba, are trading at tremendous discounts to basically their peers in the United States. And of course, this is a rapidly growing economy, and so we would think that this would be an attractive place to be. To give some perspective on how far K-Web has fallen, consider this. Earlier this week, the stock was just around 45 bucks a share. That's approximately where it was in its highs in 2015. We're talking about six years ago, and it's effectively been dead money. So I think what we are now recognizing is that there might, in fact, be quite an opportunity here. And the opportunity is coming in two fronts. For one, obviously, we've seen a technical bounce, and I know Carter's going to be speaking to that shortly. But the other is that while it's been under so much pressure, Options premiums have essentially exploded. Uh, Right now, we're seeing that two-month options premiums in K-Web at just shy of 47% implied volatility. That's a five or six standard deviation move away from mean volatility for what is essentially an index. It's a basket of stocks. And what that does is it presents a very asymmetric risk-reward relationship if we want to try to play it for a bounce with options. Let's assume for the sake of argument that that $45 level that we were seeing earlier is in fact a level off of which it not only bounced but may bounce again in the in the event that we do see some further weakness. I was looking at this earlier today and I noticed that you could put up a 10% call spread risk reversal for even money in December. What was I looking at? So with KWeb trading on or about $50 a share I could sell the 10% out of the money, December 45 put, for about $2, buy the 50-strike call for about $4, and then sell the 55-strike calls also for about $2. Net-net, I'm laying out no premium. Look what that does. Effectively, it means I have a buffer down 10%, down to that $45 level, where I'm not going to lose any money at expiration if it gets down to that. Of course, below that, I'll have it put to me, but... Worst case, I'm going to essentially own it at a 10% discount to where it's currently trading. On the upside, on the other hand, I have full participation between $50 a share and $55 a share, meaning that between now and December expiration, just over two months from today, 
I have the possibility of making a 10% return. So I have immediate participation up 10% and no participation down 10%. And that whole situation is made possible by the fact that we see these very, very high implied volatilities. And of course, if the technical setup is that we are having a bounce, that's the reason that we would want to do that right now and take advantage of what we're seeing in the options markets. Well, then the question is, does the technical setup point to that? Carter, you're plugged in. What do you see? Yes, patience. It sure does point to that. Let's get right to the chart. So I have five that are identical, same time frame, and then a longer term one. Take a look at the first. What do we know? So we're talking about something in the order of an epic decline, right? Exactly six months. That peak was February 17th. The low is August 17th. He goes from 105 to 44, drops 58%. But we can see quite clearly that since the low in August, we're now October, it has continued to not make new lows. And you can draw the lines that way, call it a minor head and shoulder bottom. Second chart, exact same time frame. What have we done? We've just started to poke above the downtrend line, in effect, since the peak. Very straight line, uh, very optically clear what is going on. Third way to draw the lines. We are now sort of in this range, and the presumption is that we're going to pop to the top of the range that's been forming uh, for the past three, four months. Next chart, we put them all together. And what this is, is starts to really show where we can, uh, where we can uh, win, where the trade can go to. And that's a nice, uh, you know, 15, 20% move from here. Now add the 150-day moving average. Same time frame again. It also comes into play exactly where the upper band of that channel comes into play. And final chart, this is the all data chart for this ETF. And you can see remarkably where it found its footing right on the trend line that's been in effect for the past eight years. And just in terms of this, how far below it is from its 150 day moving average in each sequence. And you can see it clearly every time it's been so far above or below trend, it's moving average. It is mean reverted to it. The bet is that this recent action continues and that one is right to be long KWEB. All right. So given that technical setup, Tony, do you like Mike's trade? Yeah, I like it quite a bit. And I think, like as Mike said, a lot of investors are looking at this particular chart and trying to call the bottom. And I think Carter's charts, whether you look at that as a double bottom or an inverted head and shoulders pattern, I think you're targeting minimum 55 to the upside. That's a 10% move, which aligns very well with Mike's trade. But I actually think you have extended targets up to about $60 or about 20% move here to the upside. And if you look at Mike's trade structure, I think it's a really smart way to play for an ETF that you think is near the bottom because he's effectively has a 10% upside for free in exchange for the obligation to buy the stock at about 45 the ETF at $45, which is the recent lows here. And I think for a lot of investors who are trying to pick a bottom, that would be a comfortable spot for them to be able to purchase this ETF. Mike, just quickly, this is a very short-term trade. Um, Do you think that the fundamentals for these stocks have changed at all? Well, there's really two sets of fundamentals we have to confront when we're dealing with Chinese equities. One I think is whether or not you take a look at a company like Baba and you say, is that company at 16 or 17 times earnings a good valuation? And I think we can universally say that the answer would be yes, provided that you don't have the overhang of, I mean, should I describe them as overzealous? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's their country. They can do what they want, right? But the fact is 
that the real reason that we see the valuations where they are is because of the overhang of Chinese government policy and security measures which could restrict what some of these companies are doing. They have said as much, they have done as much, and it has impacted the share prices considerably and means that many of these stocks are trading at a discount you know, not only to U.S. peers, but just relative to their otherwise really impressive growth potential. So Mm -hmm. I think the answer is yes. I think it's safe to say that there's a little bit of risk here, too, though. All right. Switching gears here. Tony is laying out a trade on an underperforming fintech stock, he says, could be ready for even more downside. Tony, give us the trade. Give us a sock. Yeah, I want to take a look at PayPal, which has really been the e-commerce king here, but I think it's starting to lose its shine a little bit. So if you look at the chart itself of PayPal, it recently broke below a pretty critical level here, about 265. And just this week, it came back to retest that level as resistance, and so far it's being rejected. So I do think that there's further downside. But I think the more important chart here to look at is the relative chart of PayPal to its sector, the technology sector. And what you see is that PayPal is actually trading at year-to-date lows and is actually making fresh lows. And this really points us to further downside, especially when a stock like this underperforms the market and its sector. But if you look at the business itself, PayPal is a fairly strong business. There's no questions about that. But as we look at revenue growth starting to slow down here from the high 20% down to about 20% that's expected next year, we're seeing EPS growth also starting to decelerate here. I think that the stock trading at 50 times next year's earnings is a little bit lofty here from a valuations perspective. And that really also aligns with my bearish thesis. So when we look at the, uh, the implied volatilities here of PayPal, they're rel- relatively elevated. So the trade structure that I want to use to account for that is by going out to December, I'm going to buy a 270 put, which is actually an in-the-money put, and that's going to re- um, pay a, a, small, a smaller amount of elevated implied volatility on that December 270 put. I'm going to sell the out-of-the-money 240 put against that. That has a higher implied volatility, and the two can hopefully offset each other a little bit. And I'm paying about $17.10 for that December 270 put. And I'm collecting about $5.80 for that December 240 put. Net net here, I'm paying about $11.30 for this debit spread. And that's only risking about 4% of the stock's value to take a bearish bet going into the holidays. Carter, what's the setup on PayPal? Sure. So one thing, well, two things we have. We're trying to refer to the break and then a little bit of a snapback. That snapback, which failed this week, stopped to the penny at the 150-day moving average. And two, that 150-day moving average is now flat. It is no longer rising. The very definition of a change in trend is the change in direction of a moving average, which is meant to smooth out price. This has all the elements, the hallmarks of a bullish to bearish reversal. Great winner. Let's roll it over. All right. Coming up, it's that holly jolly time of year again. It is earnings season, and like so many Christmas tales, Professor Co is a tale about the perils of greed, but also a tale about how you can make money. And if you want more options action, don't forget our website and our newsletter. We'll be right back. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome back to Options Action. The holiday time earnings season is right around the corner, beginning, of course, with the financials. And Professor Coe is visiting you with the three ghosts of past, present and future for the sector. Mike. So uh, XLF, you know, this is the ETF that tracks the financials. A lot of the financials that are going to be reporting earnings in the next couple of weeks are represented in here. In fact, about 53% of the entire weighting of XLF is going to be reporting in the next two weeks. About 43 or 44% of it or so just next week alone. And that's going to include all of the big money center banks. You know, we're talking about JP Morgan. We're talking about Bank of America, Wells Fargo, City, and the like. So here's the thing. XLF right now is up just under 35% on the year, considerably outperforming the S&P. And many would argue I would join them quite justifiably. The thing is, is now the time to reach out and try to buy the financials after they've had such a run? Uh, or if you happen to own any, is now a time that you might want to consider paring back some of your exposure? I would suggest that they offer a somewhat less compelling entry point right now. But there is a way that you can continue to maintain some upside exposure. In fact, asymmetric upside exposure using options. And specifically, what I was taking a look at was a risk reversal. But one of the things that you have when you are using a risk reversal, and that typically means selling a downside put and buying an upside call, is something called skew. That is that downside puts often trade at higher premia, relatively speaking, to upside calls. And that is what sets up some of the asymmetry that I'm talking about. Earlier today, XLF was trading around about $39 a share. And what I saw was I could sell the December 37 puts, that's about 5% out of the money, and use the proceeds to buy the 41 strike calls and also the 43 strike calls, so selling one put, buying two upside calls, and still collect some premium. That is a function of the fact that those downside puts are so much more expensive. Now, of course, relative to owning XLF, you won't have any exposure really between now and December expiration in that 5% down area at expiration, and you won't have any exposure in the up 5%. But here's the critical thing. If you do end up having XLF put to you, you're going to own it at a 5% discount to where it's currently trading. So if you've sold your financials right now up 35%, that's not a bad do. Of course, if it rallies because you own two calls, your participation to the upside could conceivably, if we got some kind of a breakout from here, I'm not saying that's likely, but if we did, your participation is actually greater than if you owned the equity. So this is one of those things we can look at in XLF and in other areas. It's setting up the same way, frankly, in SPY and other ETFs and in many single stocks, where you can get asymmetric risk reward using option structures like this. And if it stays right here, no harm, no foul. Carter, does your analysis back up Mike's trade? You know, it does. I mean, the, the issue with financials is, are they really on the cusp of a period of great alpha generation or something else? There are two charts. Let's look at them. The first is just the XLF. And what we have here, of course, is the ETF. And look how precisely it tracks the 150-day moving average. It bounces three times, literally to the penny. And it bounced just two weeks ago, came down, touched it, and took off. But the real issue is all about alpha generating performance that beats the alternatives take a look at the second chart it's a two panel and this is kind of the problem so we know that on the top financials are making new highs and all-time highs and yet on the bottom and you can see it quite clearly the relative performance to the choices one could have made the market that's what that is 
is poor. And so we're up against that uh, downward sloping trend line that's been in effect the past uh, many years. And I'm not sure it's worth all the hassle, if you will. Yes, you can find a good one here or a good one there. Pick this bank or that bank, this broker versus that one. But as a theme in aggregate, uh, I'm not sure it's worth, uh, worth the exposure to have a big bet or a big overweight on financials. Mm. Tony, what's your take? Yeah, so I think in the current steepening rate curve and the rising interest rate environment, I do think that it is a tailwind here for financials. And I do think that we could potentially break out from these all time, from these relative highs here that we're seeing right now. And the question here is really just timing. But I think with the interest rate environment that we're in, I would favor here to the upside. And I specifically like Mike's trade because you know, what he has here is, if we break this down, is a risk reversal. And because of the elevated skew that he has, the out-of-the-money puts that he's selling is collecting so much premium that not only is he is he able to pay for a 5% out-of-the-money call option, he's able to pay for a 7.5% out-of-the-money call option in addition to that, for effectively for no extra premium. So this gives him this asymmetrical risk of being levered to the upside if XLF does break out here to the upside. But if it doesn't and you, and you see XLF trade to the downside, you have a little bit of protection and you also get to potentially participate if the stock declines uh, by purchasing the stock with a 5% discount. So I think this is really taking advantage of the skew that we're currently seeing in XLF and potentially playing for a breakout. But the fundamentals, uh, you know, I think skew a little bit more in favor for the financials. But I do think that the charts are a little challenged. All right. Up next, a second helping at the Olive Garden. But do you still order dessert? We'll explain right after this. Welcome back to Options Action. A couple weeks back, Tony Zhang had his eye on Big Blue. When we look at IBM, which is one of the bigger names within this specific sub-industry, IBM looked like it was having a bit of a turnaround year. The, the highs that we saw earlier this year, around 152 or so, uh, it was the highest the stock has been in almost 10 years or so. But the one thing that we do have to keep in mind is that this stock peaked against the market back in 2011. And I'm going out to the November 5th uh, weekly expiration, and I'm selling a call spread. I'm selling the 138 145 call spread, collecting about $4.45 for that 138 call. And I'm paying about $1.58 for that 145 call. So far, blue is more of a reddish trade. So, Tony, what do you do here? Yeah, so the daily momentum here on, on, on IBM certainly has turned a bit positive here. But long term, I still believe that this is an underperformer. And because I'm collecting premium here, I'm inclined to hold on to this trade. I still have quite a bit of time left. And because it hasn't triggered my stop loss here, I'm going to hold on to this trade and look for some, potentially some weakness in the next couple of weeks. Okay. Well, several weeks back, Mike Co was loading up on the never-ending breadsticks of Darden. I actually expect to see their margins increase. They've done a good job sort of right-sizing the menu, right-sizing the workforce, streamlining their operations. And in fact, their margins are actually outperforming the peers. And may, we might see them actually report margins that are better than their pre-pandemic levels. So with that, I obviously like the stock. I was looking out to November, the 145, 165 call spread when I was looking at that. Uh, and that is an in-the-money call spread, I should say, because the stock closed just under 150. That trade was, well, satisfying. So, Mike, seconds or the check? 
Yeah, I think we're probably going to want the check. So here's the thing. First of all, earnings turned out great. The stock actually almost ran all the way up to that short 165 strike. I think we paid seven bucks and change for this thing, and it was close to $13, $14 at one point and near double. It has fallen back a little bit since. I think it closed just under $11. I think we want to take profits, and part of the reason for that is that since that blowout on earnings, it has actually underperformed the market by a good 200 basis points. I'll leave the technicals to Carter, though. All right. Well, Carter, quickly, your take? That's right. A breakout like that with a gap that then doesn't follow through, while it's bullish on the day, the fact that it's languishing since often is a message that that might have been all it's got. And so let's take the check. All right. Up next, answering your tweets. Back in two. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take your tweets. Our first viewer asks, now that the TLT has dropped into the low 140s, what's the best way to manage the iron condor from the show two weeks ago? Uh, Mike, that was your trade. So what do you say? It was. You know, the important thing to understand about that trade was that our thesis was that TLT was, at least for the short term, going to be fairly moribund. It was going to be range bound. Of course, when you start to see evidence that your thesis is wrong, you don't try to invent new reasons to stay in a trade. Instead, you take it off. That's what you should do. Carter, what's your take on the TLT chart? Well, this is getting to be an issue for those of us who think rates are not going higher. We did pro 160 this week, and we held mm-hmm. in tight. Uh, it needs to sort of bounce here. All right. Our next viewer asks, thoughts on buying puts on Monster Beverage with all the supply chain challenges? I see a lot of the October 15th puts at the $91 strike price they were bought yesterday. So, Tony... Take this one. Yeah, so I agree with your bearish view here, but not because of the supply chain issues, because I think one week is simply too short for that to play out. But because of the chart, it looks fairly poor. I think you can target here about to 85 here to the downside. Implied volatilities on these options are very expensive, so I would suggest going out to December and looking at a put spread as a way to play for further downside. All right, Carter Worth, Mike Co, Tony Zhang, good to see you for the week. That does it for us here on Options Action. We'll be back next Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Meantime, do not go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.